Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, and as usual, we have Aaron Keller here. And then today, we have a very interesting guest, or in my opinion, it's very interesting, (laughs) Perry Wolf, and she's actually our wildlife vet. So thanks for being here, Perry. Oh, you're so welcome, Ashley. This is great fun. Good, good. I'm very happy to have you, and let's just get right into it. Um... Explain your role exactly in the agency, because I don't know if a lot of people realize that Endow has a vet. Well, and what a vet does. And what a vet does, exactly. Yeah, I think that a lot of people may think that we do um, wildlife rehab, um, take care of injured animals that come in or baby birds, and that's not what we do at all. Um, the We have rehabbers that are licensed by the department that would take care of that. Our role is really more of trying to figure out um, what impacts from a disease standpoint um, all of the animals in Nevada, both game species and non-game species, and then um, through disease investigation and disease surveillance, and then also um, acting as support for um, our management projects like uh, sheep captures and translocations, also for... um, uh, research projects that might be done within house or by um, folks from the university that might be doing um, projects. Uh, also, uh, working with them to working with our biologists and make sure that they are certified to use our capture drugs because all of those are are considered prescription medications, and by law those have to go through a um, veterinarian uh, client patient relationship where. I would be the veterinarian, the biologists are the clients, and then of course they're working on the wildlife because many of our, um, all of our game species are food animals and there are laws that govern use of prescription drugs and, and you know, you've heard about antibiotic levels in, in, in uh, chickens and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Well, those are, con- those are food animals and so are our, f- our game species. So we need to make sure that um, you know, we're in compliance with those regulations about the prescription drugs that we use in those animals. And we also are, you know, working with the department in adding all the information that we collect on wildlife that we handle into our our agency-wide database so that, you know, we, we can track these animals from the time we capture them to a time they might die or the recapture. So that's a lot of important information. And then also um, ensuring that anyone that is handling our wildlife is doing so in a humane manner and that we are, you know, keeping up with expected industry standards on um, humane treatment of animals. Okay. It sounds like, well, I know for a fact you're out of the office just on different things all the time because your your opinion is so valuable um, being a wildlife vet. Would you... There's Yeah, there's a lot of... Um, you know, we're busy with uh, things that are happening all the time, um, and, you know, animals are getting in trouble or dying, and, and oftentimes we need to figure out what's going on with them to see if it's just a sort of a one-time thing or if we're seeing an emerging disease or something like that. We also um, consult, you know, we have a lot of sheep in Nevada, so we spend, uh, 
you know, I think a lot of folks, our, our, our colleagues around the country um, come to us to look at, um, you know, what we're doing with sheep. I think we've, we've um, become kind of leaders in, in what's happening with bighorn sheep across the country. Uh, so that's a that's an important thing, and I think that's appropriate for Endow because we do have so many bighorns, mm-hmm. and our program is so has been so successful. And I know I went out on a capture, and you guys were doing disease surveillance. So that's where you come in mm-hmm. to play a lot of times, mm-hmm. just trying to track these populations, see if they're okay. Um, right, and we, you know, and we do that a couple of different ways. We, if we're capturing animals, then we may, then we'll actively, actively, you know, that animal gets an exam when we handle it. We take blood, we take different samples to test for the diseases that, you know, we feel are the most important for those, and you know, assess their body condition and general health. Then also during hunting season, we ask a lot of, um, we ask a lot of our hunters. Um, to help us uh, bring in different samples so that we can continue surveillance for areas for, you know, populations that we know or suspect might have problems or we just don't have that much information on. We haven't captured them, but if they're hunting them, then that's a really easy way for us to get um, samples. And also, you know, we are asking our hunters when they're out scouting, they're kind of our eyes and ears on the ground, and we've picked up a lot of um, issues in our bighorn sheep just from uh, hunters out there scouting and saying, hey, I heard a coughing, you know, an animal, or I found a dead this or a dead that. And, you know, that's really beneficial for us. So we do those types of, of um, situations. And then if, you know, I mean, we've had a lot of hit by car bears, unfortunately, this year, but, um, you know, we use those animals too. Uh, to get sort of passive collection of samples from them too. So we're out there trying to get as much as we can and then, um, you know, educate the public too to what's sort of important um, so that we don't get every, you know, dead bird in front of a plate glass window. But if there's an unusual situation, then um, we're asking them to bring them in to us so that we can, we've picked up stuff that we didn't know that we had in the state before because of concerned homeowners, concerned hunters, that type of thing. And then from there, you guys can figure out how many animals this is impacting or at least stop it from spreading or just try to get to the bottom of it. And then also just be able to, you know, help the homeowners. They may have to change the way they're feeding birds or something like that to Mm -hmm. prevent a disease from spreading or, you know, determine whether we need to do some sort of a research project and investigate, is this really having an impact on the population or not? It might be, you know, a kind of a, this is a very interesting disease. It potentially could have an impact on the population, but from our, you know, from looking at what, what we're seeing on the ground and our surveys and, and animals that come in for testing, it doesn't appear to be having a population impact. Okay, and then I want to go back to the role hunters um, play. You said that they could help out while they're scouting. Is there anything else? We're in hunting season right now, so is there anything else people could be doing while they're out there to help with disease surveillance? I think just, you know, when they see odd things, they're really usually very good about letting us know. Um, We, you know, 
pictures are always, I think they are worth a thousand words. And when people say, hey, I I saw this thing in an animal and a deer or something like that. And it's like, oh, yeah, and I took pictures. Let me send them to you. And oftentimes we can figure out what that is because there are, you know, sometimes we got comments about that, that a deer has lumps on it, like big black lumps around it, which can look really ugly. But that is, you know, a uh, kind of a wart-related virus in deer. It's not a problem, usually a problem for the animal. It's not a problem for the meat. It's just in the skin, but it looks really scary when yeah. people see it. Yeah. Uh, so... And they, you know, and, but it's nothing that we can do. And unfortunately it tends to, it's transmitted, you know, from animal to animal. So when, uh, through a skin break, so we see it more frequently in bucks because they're, you know, fighting and that type of thing. So unfortunately it often affects, you know, the animals that people want to hunt. That's good to know about though. So those warts, it really is strictly skin. It's, it's cosmetic only. It's cosmetic only. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it looks well, that's really good gross. to know. <laughs> so, and I know we've got messages. We oversee the Facebook page and people will ask us questions like, what's wrong with this? And we always say, send pictures. Because yeah. I think you even responded one time to yep. Aaron. Um, we told a guy just to send in the pictures so we could get them to you. Yeah, the, and the, the, the pictures are, are great. And if they have a real concern, you know, if they think that, you know, there might be something really wrong with their animal... Um, you know, actually bringing in what they think is wrong, you know, along with the red, like, oh my gosh, there were funky things in the lungs. Well, that's something we'd probably want to test. So having them actually bring that tissue to us. And something that's really, um, you know, freezing stuff is pretty good um, to preserve it. Mm-hmm. If it's uh, frozen and fresh, we can deal with it. If um, a lot of times, though, things are rotten or covered with, you know, fly larva (laughs) and stuff like that um we can't really i didn't use the m word um (laughs) then it's it's not something that we can actually get a good diagnosis on and let them know what's happening so you know good information though and i i kind of want to go back to your background and how do you even become a wildlife vet like how did you get into this well, I got into it, um, was spent a large percentage of my career working with um, captive wildlife in zoo settings, and then um, was interested in switching to wildlife, and was lucky enough that I did this at the time when there was money available uh, mm-hmm. during that 2004 to 2000, or six, nine period when we had a fair amount of federal money and there were some jobs available, so I was able to get in that way. And here you are. And here I am. Did you That's ever right. think you would be a wildlife vet? Um, I always really back. was really interested yeah. in wildlife. I mean, the um, you know, I've always been interested in exotic animals and wildlife. And, and I think that when I got into being a veterinarian, I wasn't really aware that there were actually, you know, wildlife veterinarians in agencies at that time. Mm-hmm. Um but that's really, you know, just in the last 10 years, the number of wildlife veterinarians in agencies has really grown, which is great. And there's, um, you know, I've been the, uh, currently the past president of the American Association of Wildlife Veterinarians. And so, you know, it's nice to see a lot of students that are really accomplished and really bright um, that are, you know, 
hoping that we'll leave our jobs so yeah. that they can <laughs> be the <laughs> next like, the, the group that comes in. But there's some really um, there's some really good um, up and coming people that are that are in the field and have really had training, you know, from the beginning um, of their career on mm-hmm. wanting to really wanting to be in wildlife and and being very you know up and and on top of a lot of the disease issues, which seems like every year there's some sort of new disease in some wildlife somewhere in the United States that's emerging or becoming an issue. Exactly. And it's cool to hear that all these wildlife agencies in different states are now seeing the value and having a wildlife vet. You were explaining that a little bit before the before we started the show. Yeah, I, I, there's, I mean, there's, you know, some of the things that, you know, with uh, a big disease like chronic wasting disease that can have a huge impact on, you know, on your hunting community and your deer. And, you know, there's been some uh, conflicting reports about whether it can make the jump to, you know, primate species and then potentially get into people. That's still not been 100% resolved. But these are big issues. And, you know, um, when they're impacting uh, species populations or if they're a zoonotic disease, meaning they're transmitted between animals and people, you know, you need you need that expertise to and somebody that can kind of make sure that that not only are you protecting your staff um, that are working with these animals all the time, but also that you're making sure that, you know, you're providing the public with a safe, the hunting public and the viewing public with healthy exactly. animals. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into this more. We're going to take a quick break, but... Right after that break, we'll talk more with Perry and everything she does. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are talking with Perry Wolf, our wildlife vet. And we talked a little bit about your background, some of the work you do. Is there anything recently that's had you pretty busy? Oh, yes. (laughs) You're always busy anyway. (laughs) We've been, um, for the last couple of months actually, it's been amazing how time flies. We've been dealing with um, some botulism outbreaks in uh, waterfowl and uh, water shorebirds both in Reno and then out at the um, Carson Lake and pastures area. Um, So that's been uh, quite time consuming. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're you know, I don't know if you want to, me to talk a little bit about how yeah, so botulism works. Yeah, let's work yeah. Okay, so it's a botulism is a bacteria, um, you know, related to Botox. So uh, I'll give you the the picture that it causes muscle paralysis, and it's a a bacteria that lives in a lot of the soil of wetlands. And then when the um, conditions are correct, uh, meaning uh, we usually have high temperatures. It needs a higher temperature to grow, and there's some changes in salinity, and then it needs a, a protein source. Um, the, the bacteria then goes out of this kind of quiescent spore-forming stage into an active growth phase, and that's when it produces the toxin. So what happens is the oxygen levels, with the heat, the oxygen levels um, drop in the water, 
and that then causes a lot of the little microorganisms and little insects and stuff that's actually in the water to die, um, which creates a protein source and then the the um, bacteria with the warm water and now a protein source starts to grow and it goes into this toxin producing phase and a lot of our ducks are dabbling ducks and they're feeding along in that along the water's edge where there's some dying vegetation dying little tiny insects and then they'll contract um, botulism and and uh, die from the toxin that's produced and then one of the uh, bad things that happens is a fly comes along and lays eggs, and then the eggs hatch to maggots, and they maggots are feeding on those carcasses, and the toxin doesn't affect the maggots, but the, the maggots can concentrate it. And they are considered a protein source by uh, waterfowl, and but as many as two to three maggots can kill an adult duck because they concentrate the toxin wow. so high and it just kind of perpetuates the cycle. Yeah. So um, in in Reno, what we're trying to do with the water bodies that are affected there is to try to increase, either increase, change the water level um, to cover up the dead vegetation and potentially drop the temperature and then also aerate the water to get the oxygen levels up so that the bacteria is not in that um, low oxygen growth phase, rapid growth phase, um, and then cold weather obviously helps. Across we have record right. Yeah. 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 We had record number of days over 90 degrees this year, and um, a lot of evaporation. So it was really hard to be able if they don't have a fresh water source and then they don't have a lot of aeration, like a fountain or an aerator, to get the to get the um, the conditions right to stop the bacteria from growing. So what we're stuck until we can change that, we're stuck with trying to make sure there's no as few dead birds as possible to continue that dead bird maggot cycle. And so this is something we got a lot of phone calls about. We did some posts on Facebook. We were getting messages about it. Is this something this certain strain only impacts waterfowl that was one of the questions we were getting a lot of what we yeah the the you know this is uh botulism c is what it is and um this is not really the form that that humans can get they usually get botulism a um there's some other strains that can impact waterfowl or water birds Mm -hmm. but it's um more of a fish dead fish cycle um and this one you know if you had a dog that was dogs are pretty resistant but if you had a dog that ate a lot of dead birds that would not be good plus these birds before they die are really sick and they might be, um, you know, they might have other bacteria that are normally held in check in their digestive system that get out of control when they're sick um, that that could also impact things. But, you know, it's not, as always, we recommend, you know, unfortunately, this is happening right in the middle of hunting season or at the start of hunting season. And, you know, we always encourage people not to shoot or eat sick or dead animals um so safest thing to do (laughs) but yeah but we've had a um especially out at the carson lake complex we've had um tremendous outpouring from volunteers to come help get dead birds up we also had a lot of birds that were sick but um and and really they just many of them just need supportive care and they can recover because they just have to break down the toxin and get it out of their system and we probably were able to release, you know, a couple, like about a week ago, I think the count was up to 800 birds that had recovered 
just um, being on their own, and we were able to then release again. But we had people helping on on the boats trying to get dead birds. We had people helping us um, keep track of the live birds and sort them and see who was ready to go and who still needed to stay. We had um, a lot of shorebirds, very fragile shorebirds like avocets and stilts and ibis, you know, and tiny little uh, sandpipers and affected. And they were, um, they and some of the ducks that were in really poor condition went to local rehabbers in Nevada. And also um, we reached out to our neighbors in California and they said it was okay if we sent some of our birds over there. So we had um, a lot of people all around, both in uh, Nevada and California that were really working to help us Um, you know, get a handle on this outbreak. And now we're just keeping our fingers crossed that the temperatures go down and maybe these rainstorms will continue. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it seems like we're definitely in a better place now. Yes. Fewer phone calls about it. But it's Um, been, um, you know, pretty pretty much a uh, seven-day-a-week effort on a lot of people's parts to really get this under control. That's a huge huge project. Yeah. Because you're trying to stop it from spreading by cleaning up the, the dead, dead birds, ducks but then uh-huh. you're also trying to and the sick the birds because the sick, yeah. if the sick birds aren't gotten out of that water then they become the dead birds of tomorrow so exactly and then treating them trying to help them so you could release them that's a lot of work yeah so it is it was took an incredible amount of dedication by many many people well we're glad it's hopefully improving we'll yes keep hoping for those uh cooler temperatures yes please do please do and now that we've covered botulism, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk yeah, about, right. let's let's talk about something fun. Yeah, let's talk about something fun. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. What are favorite, what's your favorite? Well, I think, you know, have? I'm really lucky because I'm, I work in the game division, but, uh, so, but I also get to, you know, work with all the animals and help uh, the biologists and managers if they need to have something done. Um, to be able to share my veterinary expertise with them. So, you know, I've done stuff. Uh, I went up in, in a back in a from our back of our truck in a cow pasture up in Jackpot. We were um, putting transmitters in um, Yellowstone cutthroat trout, implanting them so that they could tell whether the animals were spawn, you know, moving up and down in these stream systems. So that was really that fun, was and so it was nice because you know what what was struck me is how beautiful these fish were. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just such beautiful fish and then um have been lucky enough to go out and and on some bat captures not only just for monitoring populations but also we were swabbing some bats uh, making sure that we did not have white nose syndrome which is a fungus that's impacted um a lot of bat populations in the east and it's been moving west um steadily uh at this point in time we do not have it that we're aware of in Nevada and hopefully our conditions are not right that we will that you know hopefully we won't get it Um, but being able to you know swab roosting bats is pretty much pretty fun and done a lot of stuff with desert tortoises down in outside Las Vegas and with some of the Gila monsters there and just being able you know I usually see stuff in the in an office or in the lab um, and it's really nice to then, you know, see it walk away and go back to doing what it's supposed exactly. to be doing. Right, that the monitoring cool. of, of wildlife is just as important as when there's an, an outbreak, right? Absolutely. Staying ahead Absolutely. of it, being proactive rather than waiting for something to happen. Yeah, yeah. So if we can, um, you know, if we can help sort of make the animals more resilient to all those stresses and changes that they're going through, 
then, you know, we're being successful in our job to keep them all healthy and happy on the landscape. (laughs) And then you said it, that you are technically part of the game division, Mm -hmm. um, but you do get to go out with all these groups. And right there, you named fisheries, diversity. So it is cool. Yeah, and we help help law enforcement um, a lot with, you know, if they have some poaching deals that they're working on. Um, We've been able to use our um, x-ray equipment to help figure out exactly you know lead shows up so we can help them um, figure out exactly where a bullet went that type of thing which helps them um, you know makes it shorter and then we're working with you know all the biologists um, especially if they're mobilizing animals to make sure that that's a better mobilization for the animals and it's a shorter procedure um, for them you know there's some great um, you know we can tweak drug combinations so that it's that it's a more less stressful experience for everybody involved Mm -hmm. yeah how do you how have you liked working here how long has it been you said uh nine years years. yeah yeah well it's definitely keeping me off the streets (laughs) (laughs) and it sounds like it's been pretty exciting for you (laughs) it has there's been i i've learned so much it's amazing yeah and uh you know nevada has such a wide diversity of of um species because of the you know you can go to you you have you know cold weather animals now we're getting what moose in the moving into the Mm -hmm. eastern part and then you can go down into the mojave desert and and deal with desert tortoises you know so it's um you know the wide variety there is really interesting and and so many people have such an incredible amount of expertise in what that they you know and what they do and it's so fun to be able to learn from all of the um, the biologists and the specialists, and you know, try to be be a part of that. And were you able to? I I, I guess before coming onto the Department of Wildlife, have you worked with a lot of new species that you hadn't worked with before? Um, I worked a little bit. Well, mm, no, I think in, in having been in a captive setting, you yeah, know, you it's kind so of That's you work, but you work with all of those animals, but they're in a different. Setting. Setting. Yeah. Different setting yeah so you know you have to have a different mindset for um you know you have to make sure that when you when that animal leaves your hands or you're done with it that it's in a good you know it's it's perfect mm-hmm. to go into the wild right. you know it can't have any you know recuperation time it's got to be able to get up and negotiate from that moment you know uh predator threats or or you know something else to be able to function and eat and everything so it's a certainly a little different mindset that you need to do and you're not practicing the same medicine that you would for your um you know dog and cat as far as being able to hold them in the hospital but we obviously try to do the same quality Mm -hmm. that we can um within the limitations of them being free-ranging species yeah it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. challenge. But you know, there's these. You know, that's why it's always good to hopefully not have to treat them, and yeah. hopefully they're. You know, we can we can keep them all healthy. That's my yeah. goal. Mm-hmm. Keeping animals <laughs> healthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was so interesting. We need to get you back in here That'd more be great. often. So thank you so okay, much. Thank you. That's it for today's Nevada Wild.
Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.